can we bring everybody into that voyage of discovery and understanding? Can, in some sense, begin to think about sort of crowdsourcing the science, not in getting everybody riled up and writing petitions, but getting everybody engaged and thinking about it. So I'm here with uh, Dr. Mark Abbott, the president and CEO of the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, the acronym we affectionately call HUI, but very important to a lot of people. It is the basis of the institute that Matt Hooper from the famous movie Jaws and the book was from. If you remember the movie, he was always from the institution on the mainland. Yeah. And uh, <coughs> Peter Benchley, who was my, one of my best friends, uh, I will disclose, uh, wrote the book as if it were taking place on Martha's Vineyard. Yes. And this was the institution. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, Mark, I, it's one of the reasons I'm, do, I'm in oceanography, actually, was that I saw, I saw that character on the screen mm -hmm. in 1975 when I was really? in high school. <laughs> and I had never seen an oceanographer portrayed yeah. in modern popular culture because yeah. uh, they were fairly new as, as yeah. we talked about oceanography began modern oceanography began in the 60s and 70s arguably um, and so that was the first time a, an oceanographer was on screen now think about it they could have had a guy in a white lab coat with thick glasses mm -hmm. and a pencil holder mm -hmm. but instead he had a beard he had jeans he was funny you know yeah. uh, and I, he inspired a whole whole bunch of us yeah um, now, you've started a program here called the Twilight Zone. Yeah. And for most of our listeners, that's going to sound like an old Rod Serling TV show. Absolutely. So what, us what, grew up with that. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the, twi what, how do, what's the Twilight Zone got to do with oceanography? Okay. So we call it the Twilight Zone. The scientists call it the mesopelagic, which is a little, kind of a mouthful. Yeah. It's the part of the ocean that's roughly 600 to maybe 3,000 feet deep. It's deep enough so there's not enough light to support photosynthesis. The, the way plants grow, they take sunlight, convert that into sugars and oxygen, and that's why everything's green on, on land. It's too dark for that, but it's just light enough so that you can tell whether it's daytime or nighttime. So we call it the twilight zone. Okay. It's a hard area to study because it's so deep, it's cold, we used to think, no, nah, can't be much down there. There's no plant life. There's nothing at the base of the food chain. It must be, there are all these sort of weird little organisms. And, you know, it's, in some sense, we treated it like flyover country. You know, to my friends in North and South Dakota, you know, we go yeah. from coast to coast and we fly over this region. We studied the surface of the ocean and we studied the bottom of the ocean. And that big area in the middle was, just, yeah. I just want to get through that That's as true. fast as That's I can. True. What we found, and it's not just us, but it's our colleagues around the world have been studying that area and with using acoustics, using sound, and suddenly saying, wow, it looks like there might be a lot more biology down there than we ever expected. In fact, there was one global survey that suggests, and again, it's just one survey, so try and think, I'm going to understand the planet by going around it once. This is hard that there might be upwards of a quadrillion of these little tiny inch-long fish called bristlemouths. And so we got interested in what's going on there. Well, we knew that there could be a lot. We knew that a lot of them actually migrate to the 
surface waters at nighttime to feed and then go back down in, in the daytime in the dark to hide from organisms that might eat them. So we said, wow, there's this potentially huge amount of biomass moving up and down in the ocean. And some of us were tagging large organisms like devilfish or white sharks and finding they would dive down to 4,000 feet and stay there and feed and go, wow, this could be an important area. Well, we put together a team and a proposal to a project called the Audacious Project. Uh, it was organized by TED, the TED Talks. Uh, several very rich, or we call them high net worth individuals, yes, yes, got interested yeah. in it and said, we really want to study this. And they were interested in it from several ways. One, here's this vast global ecosystem that no one knows about. Mm -hmm. So there's that fascination and that discovery yeah. element to it. The second part was it's important for the ecosystems and how carbon cycles in the ocean. So it's an important for resource. Mm -hmm. And third, there were nations that were starting to think about harvesting it. So they were, there were lots of different interests, but one was, could we actually do something different on this planet? Could we actually begin to understand an ecosystem before we started harvesting and using it and then go, uh-oh, we harvested too many, like Atlantic cod or bison in the North, North America or whatever, passenger pigeons. Mm -hmm. You know, could we begin to understand that so we could live with it sustainably and not just get ahead of it, get ahead of it and then say, oh, we better go study it because we've made a mess. Right, right. And so it's a really interesting program. I think that the last piece I'll mention that got the funders very interested in is it's not a science exercise. Can we bring everybody into that voyage of discovery and understanding Can, in some sense begin to think about sort of crowdsourcing the science, not in getting everybody riled up and writing petitions, but get everybody engaged and thinking about it. In some sense, in the way astronomers are putting data out online and normal people are finding classes of galaxies that astronomers never saw. Hmm. Can we begin to use the, the multiple brains to understand our ocean? I like, I, that's a great description, the flyover zone. So, um, Let's see if I can summarize it back for our listeners. So it's really uh, studying the dynamics in the water column. We call it the water column, where the mm -hmm. from the surface and the bottom, and then there's everything in between. Uh, and Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution is setting out to uh, study that water column. And you believe there's some importance there for food, maybe for climate uh, issues and things like that. Um, <clears throat> all right. Uh, well, stay tuned for that, and we'll post something. The producers will post something about the Twilight Zone on, the, on, the, on the site there. And uh, I've, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about anything that you want to. Uh, if there's anything you'd like to have uh, on the show, you, about sure. yourself or the... I think, I think where we are in understanding the ocean is it... Go back to the technology side. Understanding ecosystems really means we've got to be out there all the time. And we can look at how, this will sound a little far-fetched, how companies like Uber and Lyft and whatever collect data and really understand and help people navigate complex systems. In this case, how do I catch a ride to the airport kind of thing. Right. We want to have that same sort of knowledge and insight in the ocean 
that those observations and models so that we can predict and really adapt. The challenge, and you can see if you're looking, these are big ocean instrumentation. They're what we call in some sense bespoke solutions. They're yeah. big and expensive. They're great. They've opened up vast worlds of understanding. But we need probably a thousand times more. So that means they need to be cheaper. They need to think about how do I get the data back? How do I make a networked ocean? How do I make it always on, always connected? Just in some sense, the way we have our atmosphere. Yeah. How, you know, we have a system of profiling floats. It's multinational uh, effort. People have been deploying these floats. They've been measuring ocean salinity and ocean temperature and relaying that data back. They're like weather profilers. Uh, we've got about 4,000 in the world's ocean. And <laughs> people are dropping things in trucks. Well, it's oceanographic gear. So. It's, it's in process. It's the equivalent of having two weather stations for the whole state of Nebraska. The ocean is so big. Yes. And it changes on so many scales. Yes. We just way undersample it. I heard it described that it's time to have the human presence everywhere in the ocean. And, they, and by that, they didn't mean that we need to be everywhere in the ocean, but they meant we need to be able to know what's going on everywhere in the yeah. ocean. And that's essentially what we kind of have in the atmosphere. When you see the, yeah. the weather person on the TV at night, you can see, and, and, yeah. and I agree. Walter, um, Walter Monk, who passed away recently at the age of 101, physical oceanography from, oh, yeah. oceanographer from Scripps, Institution of Oceanography out in La Jolla, California, once said that the 20th century was the century of undersampling for the ocean. The 21st century, we're almost a quarter of a way into it. We still, we're continuing the second century of undersampling. Undersampling. We yeah. just don't sample it enough. Satellites are great. They've opened up a lot. The kinds of buoys and underwater robots are a great start, but we are still way, way behind. And it brings in together that, that sort of deep learning, machine learning, that sort of big data with observations, with models, so that managers and everyday citizens can begin to understand the ocean and make predictions and, and we can use it sustainably. Well, I think that's a great, that's a great place to land uh, where we, we, we need to know more about the ocean to use it sustainably and predict what is going to happen, what's going to happen in it, how it will impact us. And Mark, thanks for all that you do for the, for the world, for the ocean, and, uh, and thank you for taking the time for the Sea as Many Voices. Thank you, Greg, and I want to thank all the scientists and engineers who work at Woods Hole Oceanographic. Yeah, you've got a great team here. How many people work here? It's about a thousand. About a thousand. Yeah. Well, what's your annual budget? It's about uh, 230 million a year. Okay. You do a lot for that. That's not, that's not very much money in my view for how much goes on here. Compared yeah. to how much we, and again, I used to work for Jet Propulsion Lab, compared to how much we spend to going into space, yeah. it's a drop in the bucket. Drop in the bucket. Well, as we say in the oceanographic community, onward and downward. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Mark. Yep. Take care, Thank buddy. You.